Well, I would encourage you guys, if you know somebody who's sick or you're sick in your body, to come to James and Maloney. So uh, Bill Johnson says he has the most prolific healing ministry of anyone on the planet and perhaps one of the most unusual uh, healing ministries. If you've ever seen him, uh, he just does some things differently. So I would encourage you guys to do that. You guys ready? We are in a series about the book of Leviticus. We are still in that series, and so it's going to continue on. So we're in part five. We're going to look at the guilt offering today. I want to start with this idea of revenge, retaliation, paybacks, vindication, just desserts, judgment day, comeuppance. So revenge, it's a powerful emotion, isn't it? I mean, like there's been actors that seems like they've built their entire movie careers just on like this one theme. If you remember back in like the 80s, the Charles Bronson movies. Okay, maybe uh, you guys must have been in the prayer meeting. Thank you, thank you. Not everyone was at a prayer meeting in the 80s. Uh, Clint Eastwood, Schwarzenegger, and uh, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Chuck Norris. And, it's, and I love that they put them all together in the Expendable movies somehow. I'm not sure how they, they got them all into this thing. But here's the, here's the basic idea. is Someone ticks them off, offends them, hurts them, does something to their family, and now they're going to take a brand of justice into their own hands. No courts. No police, certainly no prayer groups. It's just them, oversized guns, somehow some shirtless scenes, lots of uh, sweat and some corny one-liners. Have you guys seen these things? And we, we, I mean, we love to see the bad guy get it in the end. And it seems like they really try to work hard to paint the bad guy so we can really see him get it in the end here. Is anyone brave enough here to admit that they've seen the uh, TV show uh, Walker, Texas Ranger? Now, in case you missed this cultural delight... Let me give you a summary of every single plot. Uh, the big bad guys bullying somebody who's incapable of, uh, de- of defending themselves. The victim's uh, treated unfairly. Something is not right done. Enter in our hero, Chuck Norris Walker, Texas Ranger. He plays Cord- Cordell Walker, I think is his name. Cowboy boots, cowboy hat, Dodge Ram pickup truck, and a spinning kick to the head that comes so handy throughout the episode. And at the show, uh, there, there's always, a, at the end, there's always a showdown between Walker, Texas Ranger, and the villain. And he's so, he's so nice about it, he gives them a choice. He says, listen, we can either do this the easy way, or we can do this... Now, we're not watching TV shows, so they can do it the easy way. They're not going to be like, you know what, you're so right, Mr. Walker, I've, I've, I've been a real jerk, and I've got to make some restitution for my... No, 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 we don't want to see that. We want to see multiple spin kicks to the face with that cowboy boot from Walker, right? They always choose the hard way, and we love it. We love to see the bad guy. Listen, guys, revenge, getting back, getting even, it's a, it's a human emotion, but it's not necessarily a kingdom emotion. After more than two decades in vocational ministry, I will say this, uh, nothing injures a church quite like unresolved conflict. Nothing injures a family. Nothing re- injures a business quite like unresolved conflict. It's like a cancer. You're going to see the Bible. It's like, we've got to take care of this thing. That's the, that's the, uh, so God has given us the guilt offerings. We're going to see how that applies to us today. So we, we were looking at the book of Leviticus. It starts off with five different offerings, and they're picturing the one work of Christ. The work of Christ was so multifaceted, so wonderful. No one offering could really picture the whole thing. So the first week we looked at the burnt offering, where we actually received the righteousness of Christ it's interesting, they, uh, at every day, that at 6 a.m. and at 6 p.m., they would offer a burnt offering. So just imagine it. If you uh, woke up in the middle of the night and you were to look out, you would see that smoke curling up before the Lord, and you would know, I'm right with God. You would always know that you were right with God because you saw that that sacrifice was being accepted. Then we looked at the grain offering, how we need to receive the life of Jesus in our body, soul, and our spirit. Remember, you need bread in all three parts. 
We looked at the, uh, the peace offering. That's where we celebrate the peace with God over our lives, and there was the waving of the offering of his love over our life and of his authority over our lives. We looked uh, last week at the sin offering. We saw that the blood remains on the altar so that we would know that our sins were taken care of. Now, this is something interesting. If you remember last week, we saw how there were, the blood was taken and put in seven different places. Do you guys remember that? So one of the youth, uh, actually one of the young adults pointed this out to me, that Jesus actually shed blood in seven different places in the New Testament. Uh, stripes on his back, the crown of thorns, they pulled out his beard, his right hand, his left hand, his feet, and his side. And then interesting, and so it was a prophetic symbol of the seven places Jesus said blood to completely cover all of our sin. I wish I'd have thought of that. That was good. But it's good. Uh, people are understanding how to, how to read Leviticus here. So today we're going to look at the fifth and final type of offering, Leviticus. The guilt offering actually has two parts. And so we're going to look at one part today and one part next week. I was going to try to cram them into one giant super sermon, but I wanted to let you eat lunch at some point today. Okay, two different kinds of guilt offering. The first one is the sins against God. And uh, how many of you guys know that your sins can be forgiven, but you can still feel guilty? Okay, we'll look at that next week. God actually uh, doesn't want you to just understand that you're forgiven. He actually doesn't want you to have the consciousness of sin in your life anymore. You're going to like it. All right, you're like, huh, is that even a good idea? I don't know. <clears throat> we'll look at that next time. Now, the other kind of guilt offering is sins against each other. So let's pick it up in Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor. I want you to see how it's a sin against your neighbor, but it's still a sin against God. By deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor. He's given different classes of ways that you could uh, you know, do somebody wrong. Verse 3, or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, and any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that would, to which was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it. Very interesting. And give it to him to, who belong, to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. Notice the urgency of it. The day you realize it, you go take care of things. <clears throat> and he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. So I want you to know, it. they didn't go and ask for forgiveness to the Lord first. They went and made it right with the person first, and then made the sacrifice. I want you to see the urgency there. Uh, verse 7, and the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he, shall be forgi- uh, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do, and thereby become guilty. So I want you to see, if you, if you sinned in the Old Testament, I want you to see this, we're going to see in just a second, this follows through the New Testament. It's not enough to say, listen, I'm sorry, but I'm under grace, God forgives me, he remembers my sins no more. Just do a walk-off. I think that's how a lot, of, a lot of people are. We chicken out over confrontation, and we're like, listen, God forgives me. It's okay. That person, they have to forgive me too. It's in the Bible. They're supposed to forgive me, and they're just supposed to get over it. And No, no, it was written to the law. I can't just get right with God. I have to get right with you too. Here, here if you're boiling down the whole Testament, it's love God, love people. Okay? And here's what we see in, uh, throughout the New Testament. The way that you demonstrate your love for God is the way that you love people. And if you're not loving people, don't tell me that you're loving God. I mean, it's, it's all throughout the book of James. It's all through 1 John. So the, the goal isn't to, well, I'll, we'll get to all this stuff. I got a friend that I consider to be a spiritual person. Um, 
I mean, this person, they would prophesy, they were gifted, they would teach, they would do all these different things. And uh, we got into some relational conflict. How many of you guys recognize it can happen to anybody? All right. I mean, Jim, how could anybody be mad at you? That's what I'm saying. I don't even understand it. It's a mystery. And so we got into some relational conflict, and there was some uh, escalation of voices. Uh, I don't remember any particular name-calling at that point. But there was, uh, there was, it, was, it was hot. It was heated. And this person hung up on me right in the middle of the phone call. And so... Um, which I think it's a lot nicer now that we have the digital phones, because you used to be able to slam the phone in their face. And now it's, beep, it's, it's like, you know, I feel like they need an app that sounds like the slamming of a phone when it hangs up, but it's a million-dollar idea for you. You're welcome. <clears throat> Trademarked. And so um, anyway, so it hangs up the phone on me. And so I, just me being the gracious person I am, I'm like, hey, bro, um, I'm just going to assume that somehow we got cut off and uh, call me back. And so... Um, that was about a year and a half ago. And so I've, I've sent unlimited texts, emails, voxers, phone calls, just ghosted, just nothing, getting nothing back from this person. And so uh, another friend of mine knows about this, and he's like, he goes to this person and says, hey, why aren't you returning Jim's calls? You need to make this thing right. And he says, I'm just battling it out in the heavenlies. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But listen, guys, that is not how it works in the spiritual realm or the earthly realm. It's not enough for you to just simply battle. The Bible gives us some real clear things that we're going to see that you need to go take care of this thing. Be a man, be a woman, clean up your mess if necessary, humble yourself, but it's not enough to simply take it to the heavenlies. My wife even flew out there to this person, showed up on their doorstep and said, hey, we need to make this thing right. And uh, the person blew, blew us off. Rest of the story, they had a mysterious illness and almost got sick and died. We're going to see, guys, this is all part of the Bible here. It says if you, don't, if you don't make it right with people, that you will be put into a spiritual prison and tormented. You open yourself up to the demonic if you don't, if you don't do these things. Have I got your attention yet? How are we doing? You're like, Jim, I'm under grace. That's the old covenant. They have to go and, and offer a sacrifice and make it right to the person. Um, but it actually follows right through the new covenant. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, I want you to see this. You might be innocent. It didn't say if you did something wrong, but someone else thinks you did something wrong. If your brother has, if you, and you remember there that your brother has something against you, whether you're innocent or not, this person's ticked at you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. It's saying brother. This is picturing church relationships here. And then come and offer your gift. It's, it's, it's the same pattern as we saw in Leviticus. Go make it right with the person, and then come and make your offering to the Lord. It's, it's picturing a Levitical offering here. Verse 25, you ready for this? Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. He's giving us a picture of spiritually what happens to us as we're put in some kind of prison here. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You're like, Jim, that doesn't even sound Christian. This is New Covenant. You can love God and dance and shout all you want, but if it's not demonstrated in your love for people, if you're not willing to, when there's a relational conflict, to recognize a cancer has set in and something needs to be done here, if you're not willing to do that, you open yourself up to a spiritual prison to torment so you can see this scene here. It's interesting. So here's this good Jew. Jesus paints this picture. He's the master storyteller. Here's this good Jew, and he's picturing someone making an offering in the temple. Now, Jesus is telling this to his disciples who live in Galilee, which is 80 miles from the temple. And they only went to Jerusalem maybe once or twice a year, depending on which feast they, uh, they went all the way to Jerusalem for. So I want you to get this picture here. So imagine you've made the 80-mile trip not in a car. 
okay? Like they, they probably walked or took a camel or walked the camel. I don't know how they did, okay? But it was, it was not as convenient as us just driving, you know, to Cincinnati, all right? So they make the 80-mile trip there, and they're in line, and they are ready to make their offering. This is very exciting. All of a sudden, they realize, oh, no, so-and-so has something against me. Jesus is like, can you imagine? You've made the 80-mile trip. You're waiting in line to do your offering. It's the festival. You're excited. You're in the presence of God. And then, oh, man, so-and-so has something against me. I'm going to leave my ram or my goat or my bull or just whatever it was. Hey, can you watch this for me? i got to go 80 miles back here, make things right with Joe, and then I can come back and... You're like, Jim, but I might be innocent. When relational conflict sets in, something must be done about it here. Let's go back to Leviticus here for a second. Uh, Leviticus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to reread these. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent, for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things one may do and thereby become guilty. It's interesting. David was king of Israel, and he commits adultery with another man's wife. He commits murder against her husband. He brings calamity upon the whole whole nation. And yet when he's repenting in Psalm 51, here's what he says. He says, God, against you only have I sinned. I want you to see there's an aspect of when you hurt somebody else, it's actually an offense to God. And here's the good news. Jesus became the, he was the ram. He was the sacrifice that we just read about. Every time you hurt somebody else, here's the good news. Jesus took the place of you as the injurer and the offender before God. He took that place, okay? It's a strange sense. In every offense towards somebody else, it's an offense towards God as well. I want you to think of this just as a parent. One of the great pictures of, of God is as father, right? If somebody treats one of your kids poorly, how do you feel about that? Is it like bringing like warm feelings of just like... You want to have a moment? No, no, you just, there's something that stirs up. I remember when uh, Joshua was younger, much younger, I think he was like in first or second grade, and he was going to the Christian school that we were on staff at, and there was this kid who was like Kidzilla. He was huge. Like, I don't know if, I don't even know if he was like from the Goliath's tribe, or I don't even know what was happening, but he was, he was huge. I mean, he was seriously huge, and he's bullying Joshua. And so I remember like, uh, and he would just like, you know, knock his lunch out of his hands, Joshua like caught like a grasshopper, you like kill it in a recess, and and then they're on a soccer team and they're playing against each other, and so I, I've been hearing about this kid and he's just huge, and I'm watching Joshua, and he's going up and he is cheap shotting this big guy, like he is slide tackling him when there's no ball there. I'm like, what is going on? And he's running up and hitting him hard with his shoulder, and like the refs are like stopping it, like you two need to do this, and um, Joshua comes over and he says, Dad. If I don't fight back, it'll never stop. I'm like, what has gotten into him at, at, at second grade? But I want to let you know, I'm watching this happen, and uh, knowing this, I wanted to smack the kid. Like, you're hurting my kid? Like, I want you to see, he wasn't just hurting my kid, he was hurting the parent as well. You have to see, that's how our sin is to God. Is when we are hurting one of his kids, there's an offense there. There's a hurt there. Here's the good news, is God has taken care of that through Jesus. You are completely redeemed, but it doesn't mean we don't have to still make it right with, with, uh, with each other. All the times that you've been the injurer, when you've broken your spouse's heart, when you've let down a friend, when you've not kept promises to your children, when you lied or cheated or defrauded or exaggerated, Jesus has come to take your place. He is the ram without blemish. 
no matter how poorly you've treated people, how bad, how big of a jerk you've been, whatever it is, here's the good news is between you and God, Jesus has taken your place. But as a kingdom person, you now have to make it right with that person. You're okay between you and God, but that's not enough to stop there. Uh, let's look at Leviticus 6, 4, and 5 again. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took away by robbery or what he got by oppression or by the deposit he was committed, all these different ways that you could have hurt somebody, verse 5, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full. So I want you to get this. So if you've stolen somebody's horse, you not only give them back the horse, but you would uh, have to add 20% of the value on top of that. Look at the next part there. He shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it. And give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. Okay, so you're giving back 120%. So you got to go make, you're going you're to give back the 120%. You're going to go and make an offering before God. But, you're all, but first you're going to go and restore this. Are you guys ready for this? In the gospel, you overcompensate the injured party. It's a, it's a crazy gospel. It's like Jesus says in, uh, in Ephesians 4, it says this. It says, let the thief steal no more so that he may have something to give. Don't you see, like the gospel is so crazy. You go from being a thief to being a generous giver. That's the gospel. We see this in the story of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector in Luke 19. He was a tax collector, and he was robbing his people. And so here's how the tax collectors work. uh, The Romans were oppressing them, and so they're like working for the man. They're working for the oppressor. They're taking taxes from the Jews. And anything that they could get above the tax, they could line their own pockets with. So they knew they were being cheated. I mean, the Jews hated the tax collectors. Well, Zacchaeus meets Jesus, and here's what happens in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of this man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anything, that was one of the things that we read in Leviticus, I will restore it fourfold. What did the law demand? 20%. He's giving 400%. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. It's interesting, guys. You know that you have repented when there's fruit with that repentance. I said I was sorry. Did your behavior change? No. Then you didn't repent. Jesus talks about confessing your sins. There's something interesting. When you confess your sins, there's actually a grace and a power that comes from the Holy Spirit for you to be able to forsake that sin. All of these offerings, you had to recognize that you had done something wrong. So there's an element of confession. I've done something wrong. And it's in the recognizing and in the asking for forgiveness that actually the power of God comes in to help you turn away from that behavior that you're confessing about. No confession, no repentance, no power to turn. How do I know if I've confessed and repented? Because you've been given a power to turn. You see this in marriage counseling all the time. It's like, my husband's a jerk. She won't listen to me. She's nagging me. And so they they come to realization, wow, I didn't realize I was doing this. And so um, what happens a lot of times is a spouse is so used to catching them do something wrong that they don't realize that they're not doing something right. And so what you have to help them do is see, well, listen, um, they actually do have some fruit here. And the the husband will say, well, listen, uh, sweetheart, remember when I did this and this? Oh, yeah, you're right. You did do that. So sometimes in marriage relationships, you're so used to catching them doing something wrong, there's actually fruit, but you may need someone to help you recognize it. The Holy Spirit or a good friend or a marriage coach or something like that. That was free. You guys all right? When you have done somebody wrong, you must restore 
and I not just restore to the letter of the law, but to overcompensate. Many people, they, they don't forgive because they think, listen, if I forgive them, it's saying that it's okay, that they get to go free. I'm the one who's cheated. I'm the one who's violated. I'm the one who's been molested. I'm the one who is wrong. And if I just forgive, they go free. Not if you understand the guilt offering. If you forgive the one who injured, you position yourself to receive more than what was stolen from you. Are you guys seeing the spiritual principle? Someone has wronged you, and if you forgive them, you are now setting yourself up to God to, to restore you, not only to the place where you were before, but greater than before. Kingdom restoration and kingdom redemption means you wind up better than you were as if you have never got injured. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. If you forgive. If you don't forgive, then you're stuck in a spiritual prison and you open yourself up to demonic torment. There's a picture of it at the end of Matthew 18 there, too. If you, are, if you do not forgive, you are in a worse prison than them. Bitterness and unforgiveness causes diseases in your body and opens you up to a spiritual prison and torment. How are we doing? Am I saying it strong enough? Are you guys catching this here? When you forgive somebody, you're not saying what you did is okay. When you're forgiving somebody, it doesn't mean you might not still need to pursue legal action. Wives, if your husband's hitting you, call the police and get a paper trail. You're not called to take a punch. Okay? You can forgive them on the way to the police station. I'm being serious. It doesn't mean that you never get to sue somebody in court, but the way that you do it is going to be loving, not vindictive. How are we doing? All right. The old covenant makes provisions for sins against you. Lying, so if someone's hurt you, lying, uh, defraud, you know, all, all the different things, bearing false witness, stealing. But under the new covenant, God wants you to go after anything that breaks relationship. So it's not just if someone's stolen to me hurt. If someone, uh, you know, stolen from you, defrauded you, lied about you in court, all these different things. I mean, those are like egregious things. So the old covenant made provision if somebody like commits a crime against you. But the new covenant is even more sensitive that if anyone sins against you in any way, if you're offended, listen to Matthew 18. This is the new covenant. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the fault. So remember in Matthew 5, it's if someone had something against you. So they're mad, you might be innocent. So whether you did nothing wrong, or in this case, they did something wrong to you. So either way, uh, you're, if there's conflict, you have to deal with it. Whether you're at fault or not at fault, if you realize it, here's what it says. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the fault. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Let me just summarize all of conflict resolution in one sentence. I think we're going to put it up there. You go to the other person in private and discuss the problem for the purpose of reconciliation. We're going to take that a phrase at a time. I want you guys to see how to walk out the guilt offering here under the new covenant. You guys ready? You go to the other person in private and discuss the problem for the purpose of reconciliation. All This may be the most challenging teaching of all that Jesus has given us. This one is so easy to ignore. It's so easy to just justify a whole other way of doing it. So let's walk through this, okay? The first step, uh, if, if something comes to your mind, listen, this person... Like there's either they're offended or you're realizing I'm offended. The Bible says not to be easily offended, okay? So here's how I like to do it. Is if it sticks in my spirit and I'm not able to let it go, then it's time for me to go to the person. 
Okay, if it's sticking, you don't need to, oh, I'm just being a big baby. No, no, no. The Bible doesn't say, uh, you know, stop being a big baby. It says, if someone has done something, then you go to them. How many of you guys are realizing you might have to make some lunch appointments here coming up? <laughs> Sorry, my calendar's full. I can't meet, so. <laughs> Here's the first step. is, is uh, something comes to your mind, acknowledge the conflict. It says, if another believer sins against you. Uh, you might replace the word if another believer, when another believer sins against you. <laughs> How many of you guys know, man, you, you get in relationships, it's just messy. Oh, me and my husband never fight. Well, one of you is not showing up then. One of you is powerless in that relationship. To be alive means to be in conflict. Sometimes people do it constructively. Some people do it destructively. Sometimes fights end in hugs and kisses, and sometimes they don't. For lots of reasons, it's just easier to pretend conflict doesn't exist. Ah, oh, well, they're just being a jerk. That's just how they are. I don't, I don't want to go and make things worse by saying anything. Listen, guys, let's start with a deep commitment to face relational breakdowns square in the face. Listen, something is tense here. I've got to acknowledge it. <clears throat> Jesus is clear about the next step. If there's conflict, you go. Maybe you want to write this phrase down. Take the initiative. It doesn't matter who caused the problem. Jesus doesn't say, stew on it for a month and see what happens. He doesn't say, hope and cross your fingers that the problem will go away. He doesn't say, fight it in the heavenlies. He says, when there's any indication of any kind of breakdown in any relationship that you have, you are supposed to go. You're supposed to go and start talking about the issue. Now, there's, this, there's a skill set to this. We're going to talk about it here in just a second. You're a jerk. You hurt me. Not going to be super helpful. We're going to get that in just a second. I've tried those before. Not super helpful. So you are to go. That means you reschedule your day. It means you take an hour off of work. It means you get up and walk out of church service if you must. It's that important. So I remember uh, one of the, when my wife and I were dating, we, I, I, would, we, I lived in Indianapolis at the time, and I worked at this loading dock. And, um, and so, you know, you're doing like the hand freight, but I guess I was, uh, didn't have the muscular system for the hand freight, so they moved me up, uh, to a tow truck driver, the, the, the tow lift, so like the forklift thing. Well, there's a real art to those forklifts. I just want to tell you, like the people who are really good at it, I mean, they're zooming in and out of the thing, and, and there's no brakes on it. There's just the forward pedal, and then use your heel for the reverse pedal. And so the brake is to kind of like feather this whole thing, right? <laughs> and one of the number one rules is you never leave the fork up because you could like, you know, turn it and hit somebody in the head. You know, it's, uh, there's a, the center of gravity gets all off when that thing is way up, so it's easy to tip. You can stab things in the truck. And so, it's, um, so I've been doing the hand freight the whole summer, and so they put me on tow truck driver. And these guys are, I mean, they're flying in and out of the things, and they're always on time, and you go to this. And I, I wasn't the greatest tow truck driver. I do remember um, I got the highest score on the exam, and I even, confer, I even uh, I remember correcting them on an exam question. I said, listen, because they talked about going up a downslope. I was like, I'm like it's impossible. It has, you know, anyways, anyway. I was not there. I was just a little bit of pride. Anyway, so I got my tow truck license, and so... I only had like a week or two left, you know, and, uh, before, before summer and I went back to school. And so I remember, you know, I was trying to go fast like those guys, but I mean, like, you know, the, the truck's only so wide and you got you to take out the pallets and anyway. So I remember one, it was like, uh, like my second to last day, and I was flying in there and there was this whole pallet full of isopropyl alcohol. And so I smashed it and like just the alcohol went everywhere, I went flying into the thing. 
And I just like stung everybody's eyes, like, oh, Baker, you're... And so they weren't using the good conflict resolution techniques. And so, so I'm like super self-conscious now. And so I'm like driving real slow, and now they're yelling at me for going slow. And so it's on my last day, and there was these chemicals that had a skull and crossbones on them. Yeah, and it had like all these warning labels, so it's it some kind of toxic chemicals. And so I, you know, I had lifted something, put it on, and I didn't put the fork down. <laughs> and so I go flying into this thing, and I spear these giant barrels full of chemicals. I don't know how else to describe to you. It looked like caramel, but like a little bit more liquid. So it was, it was still thick and runny like that, and it began running out. And um, I had this thought, should I tell anybody? <laughs> I'm like... Yeah, you know, like you know, they already hate me. I'm already like the worst tow truck driver ever. And so, um, and so I, I come out, and I, it was pretty obvious, you know, I, is, is the forks are like dripping this toxic goo. And so um, I said, "Hey guys, um, I'm on this truck with these placards. I remember the scene from Monsters Inc. when like the sock was on the back of the one monster." And they're like, it's a 2319, it's a 2319. And they come, and like, like all these people with like the chemical suits showed up out of nowhere, and they're like shaving the person. Remember that whole thing? It was a lot like that. <laughs> like, it is like that. Like, these people come out and they got the suits on and everything. Here's what the Bible says When there is conflict, it's a 2319. It is an emergency. It is all hands on deck. It is a toxic spill has been released into the environment, and we need to do something about it now. Not pray about it in the heavenlies. Should we clean up this toxic waste here? You need to clean up the toxic waste. Stat. How are we doing? So who should you go to? Jesus is real clear on this. You might want to write this phrase down. No third parties. This could save families, churches, businesses. Who do you go to? Jesus is clear. You go to the person with whom you have the conflict. Look at the verse again. It says you go privately. Another translation says deal with it just between the two of you. This seems obvious, but usually the last person that I want to talk to about this problem is the person I got the problem with. I'd rather go get a couple of my buddies so they can see what a mega jerk this person is and how righteous I am. I mean, I mean that was in my old life. I mean, you know. I mean, it's way more fun to go talk to somebody else. It actually forms this, uh, this demonic bond between us. I want you to think about this. Is I'm going and I'm, and I'm accusing this person to another person, and now we're sharing this secret, and it's like we've got this little bond. Guys, that's not a kingdom bond. That's a demonic bond. Here's what the name Satan means. It means accuser. You know what you're doing when you're gossiping and and, uh, sharing that negative thing? You're Satanizing, if you want to turn it into a verb. Where do you think the toxicity from the poison is released from? But this person hurt my feelings. And so the toxicity, the poison, continues to swirl. Here's an example of this kind of thing. So I remember I was, uh, I was on staff. I mean, I'm a, you know, I was like in my 20s, all right? And so I wasn't as saved as I am now. And so I don't want to use the lady's real name, so we'll just call her Shanene. And so Shanene, <laughs> Shanene's dating this guy, and uh, she's trying to figure out if it's the will of God for her to marry this guy. And I, I just be honest, I, w- I would fill in marry this loser. And so, um, so she comes to me and she's like, you know, I know he's on drugs. And I know he has no job. And I know he's not saved. And I know he's like pressuring me nonstop to have sex before marriage. 
but I really love him and I want to know if it's God's will. And so I wasn't as gracious as I am now. And so I was kind of like, seriously? I think I said it pretty much like this. Seriously? I'm like, what's the most important thing in your life? And she's like, God. And I'm like, you can't share the most important thing in your life with the most important human person in your life. Why would you get married? <laughs> and I walked away. I mean, I probably should have been a little more compassionate, okay? And so, um, and so she comes up to me a few days later, and she says, you really hurt me with the way that you handled this, you know? And I was like, you know what? You're totally right. I'm, I'm sorry. I can say I should have been more compassionate. I, just, I was kind of just real frank with you like that. I'm, I'm totally sorry. Would you please forgive me? And she's like, yes, I will. I said, listen, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you came right to me. Like, you did come right to me, didn't you? Well, no, I'm, I might have made a few stops. I'm like, 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 like one or two people? Like eight people. Guys, that's a natural thing to do. That is completely demonic. So basically, from the time I offended her, she was finding anybody who could say, Baker's a jerk, he's not really loving, he's not like the person you think I am. And so what did restitution look like in this situation? I said, listen, Shanani, like, like, like we're good. But I said, now the blast radius has expanded, and you need to clean up the blast radius. And I said, here's what's going to happen. I said, I'm gonna, you've got a week to go make this thing right. I need you to go to those eight people. And you need to repent for bringing this in, for me into the situation, for the way that you painted me. Guys, that's what restitution looks like in these things. Every person you've gossiped to, you have to go and humble yourself and say, listen, I am so sorry for bringing you into this. We're totally good now. And um, I am so sorry for trying to poison you. So you need to think in advance of a gracious, tactful way in which you can encourage that person to go to stop poisoning you, and to go away and make it right. So here's a, here's a couple of phrases you might try. So they come into you, the gossiping. You might try this one. Not today, Satan. No, I mean, I'm just kidding. That's how I went on. It'd probably stop them, but I'm not sure, you know. A few of you are like, that's the only notes you're taking today. Not today, Satan. I like that one. Um, maybe try this one. Why are you trying to feed me the poison of bitterness that you're drinking? Can't you see it's killing you? You're a horrible friend. You could try that one, too. Do I need to repeat that? Did I say it too fast? I know, really, you do. It's going to happen. Someone's going to come up to you, gossiping, satanizing to you about another person. I remember Mary and I, we were, uh, I was in seminary. We were attending this big church, and one of the staff pastors had hurt Mary and I. They had hurt our feelings. Can you believe that? I just can't even. It's just it's astounding. They had hurt our feelings, and now we had uh, another staff member, the youth pastor, over for dinner. And we are Satanizing. We are gossiping about that. Can you believe how someone so hurt us? He was so rude. And he was actually known for being rude. And he's done this to other people. I want you to listen. To so this was a younger man than us who actually discipled us in that moment. Here's what he said. He, let's just pretend his name is Thor. He said, um, he said, listen, he says, I know Thor. He's like, we've prayed together. That's not his heart at all. He said, if he knew that you felt that way, he would feel terrible. He's like, you need to go talk to Thor and, uh, and let him know how you feel. And I guarantee you'll, you'll see a different side of him. He's like, I'm going to check up on you in a week. Make sure that happened. We got discipled in that moment. I remember another time, I was on the other end of it. So my, uh, my, one of the senior pastors I worked with, all of them were characters. This one was a particular character. And so he, uh, very type A, very short to the point, just, um, anyway. 
And so I get a call, Baker, get in my office. I'm like, oh, all right, you know, the, the, those are typical calls, you get those. And so I come on in, and there's another person there, and he says, well, Jim, this person uh, has been telling me some very interesting things about you, and uh, begins to list all these offenses. So this person didn't come to me. They went to try to get me in trouble with the senior pastor. And so I walk into this, and uh, this is actually brilliant, what he did, is um, he, he nipped the thing in the bud. And the person began, oh, well, I didn't really mean it like that, and I probably misunderstood. So they, they had a version of the story that they had when I wasn't there. But when I was there, the story completely changed, and da-da-da, and found out the person was basically lying about this thing. That's not a bad way to handle it. Hold on, hold on. You're, you're in a fight with this person? Well, let's get you guys together. I guarantee that person will never come gossip to you again. Do you see how serious this thing is, guys? Because this is going on in churches right now, where it's just destroying families and churches, and their families haven't spoken to other in years because they didn't follow this simple process. Guess what? You can reverse it today. Someone has to go first and humble themselves. All right. So you recognize there's a conflict. You're going to the person. There's just the two of you. You're alone together. And Jesus says, you're discussed the problem. And here's what he says. You're to use direct communication. Use direct communication. Jesus says, point out the fault. This, too, is often easier said than done. Very often in an actual face-to-face confrontation, people, they try to maybe soften the blow a little bit. I'm guilty of this, I'll admit. By indirectly addressing the problem or not saying that extra 10%. You'll say the 90%, but it's actually that extra 10% that would have actually made the My wife's laughing because she's been in so many of these meetings. Mary's the 100% girl. Like she, will, she will say the, the things that are necessary in love. And so sometimes I will chicken out. But indirect communication is not helpful here. I remember, I don't know why I remember this, babe, but we were, um, it's when we lived in Academy Street, and you had come to me one time, and you said, uh, Jim, would you like to finish painting the baby room today? And so um, I searched my heart, and I realized, in the core of my being, no, I I didn't want to (laughs) paint the baby room. And so, um, you know, proud of my self-awareness and my discovery, I reported this to Mary. (laughs) And she walked away kind of double confused. Why? She wasn't directly communicating. It was kind of indirect. It came in the form of a question. You actually have to be direct with what you're talking about here. Okay? Um, It does no good for you to say, listen, if I've offended you, please forgive me. If nullifies anything that you've done because you're not taking any responsibility. Here's what it's kind of like. If If I've done something wrong, listen, you might think it's wrong. I don't really think it's wrong. I'm not going to admit that it's wrong. But if you think I did something wrong, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I don't really agree. I mean, there's, there's no apology. There's no reconciliation going on when you're doing that. Something like this. Hey, have I hurt you? Okay, I am so sorry. I'm not talking about owning things that you didn't do. But guys, if you're guilty 1%, own your 1%. Don't focus on their 99. It's not going to be helpful. Someone has to be the grown-up. And how about we be the grown-ups? In a parent-child relationship, like I've watched some parents become the children, and they're fighting with them on that level. No, 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 no. Someone has to be the grown-up. Someone has to go first and soften their heart. Have I offended you? Then own it. If they, I've been in situations, like guys, over two decades of ministry. Listen, in any kind of leadership, if you have a dog, you're a leader. Okay, like you're leading something somewhere, okay? You have, you have influence somewhere. You're going to have to get good at conflict resolution. And not by, by being the loudest, the biggest, the angriest in the room. Okay, nobody, yeah. Nobody's going home and bragging to their, uh, to their girlfriends, oh, you should see the way my husband gets angry. Ooh, child, the way he gets angry, I just love it. 
Like, like nobody loves your anger. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about there's a way to soften our hearts. We're going to see that it's, it's for the purpose of reconciliation. So this is going to require verbal discipline. Here's what verbal discipline means. I can say clearly what it is that you, this is how you made me feel. I'm not trying to control you. I'm not trying to tell you you're a jerk. Listen, when you said this, this is how it made me feel. I'm putting my heart on the table, and now they have a chance to take that and hold it seriously. And if they do that, trust is built. If they throw it off the table, mistrust is built, and we grow a little bit farther. My job is to keep my heart clean and to keep coming back to that table until it's no longer a good idea to keep coming back to the table. Verbal disciplines mean you're going to say it without the sarcasm. Sarcasm is not a gift of the Spirit, in case you were wondering. So you're like, dang, I don't think I got any gifts now after that. None of these sweeping statements. You always do this. You never do this. Not helpful. That's just pouring gas on that fire that's already burning. Every emotionally charged word, it just, pour, it just, it just makes things worse. Here's something interesting. They did a survey. I'm talking about verbal discipline here. They did a survey to second graders. Here's the question they asked. If you could change anything about your mom, what would it be? 98% of the kids said, I wish she wouldn't yell at me so much. That response was 50 times more than response number two. What are we talking about? Verbal discipline. Guys, when you're yelling, nobody is communicating. You're just protecting yourselves from this dangerous person who has, who's yelling. We Okay. Last thing Jesus says, thank God, the last thing. The last thing Jesus says, it's really important. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. The goal in conflict situation is not to win. It's not to score points. It's for the purpose of reconciliation. Guys, if your heart is not to restore this relationship, then you do have no business going and confronting them. This person hurt me. I think I'm going to go and let them know just how bad they hurt me. If your goal is to hurt them the way they hurt you, you ain't in the kingdom. You're back Satanizing. I remember, uh, I don't know, I'm like 17, 18. And so I, I was, we, I like to say Detroit. It was actually a white suburb of Detroit. It just sounds cooler to say Detroit. But um, I like to say, you know, we drove through Detroit on the way to the country club, so I was basically raised in the hood. So I'm very familiar with it. And so in Detroit, it's uh, shoot first, honk later. Just, you know, how it works there. And so I remember I, uh, I had pulled out of this street, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going into the left turn lane to go into another side street. And I didn't, I guess I didn't make the turn fast enough. And so I, I, I turn onto this street, and I look, and I hear this screeching of tires behind me. And I look in my rearview mirror, and this car, it must have had like rear-wheel drive, it's coming sideways at me. So he's hitting the gas so hard, his tires are spinning, and he's coming sideways at me. And he pulls up next to me. And um, I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't know what the guy was going to do. So I reached for an umbrella. I'm not sure what I thought I was going to do with the umbrella. You know, the only martial arts training I had was watching the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. And so I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this umbrella. I'll maybe like hypnotize him. I remember the penguin used to do that on Batman. He would spin it and like hypnotize him. I mean, maybe that's a good idea. So this guy comes, he pulls up next to me, like kind of like pins me in a little bit. He rolls down his window and I'm, I'm grabbing for the umbrella. And he answers, he asks me this intriguing question. He says, hey. What's your problem? And then he called me a name that is used for the King James of a donkey. And so, um, hey, what's your problem, blank? And then he drove away. I was like, man, that's a pretty profound question. I've thought about it often. I mean, it, it actually sums up the human condition. What is your problem? But the man, he didn't stick around to discuss it with me. 
He didn't care what my problem was. He just left me with this provocative question. And I want you to see, when it comes to Jesus' instructions, he actually got four out of the five right. Did he acknowledge the conflict? Oh, yeah, with clarity and passion. He took the initiative. He was not passive. He did not complain to me about me to other motorists. He did not start a circle of gossip on the streets so that the other drivers were talking about me. His communication was impressively direct. I knew exactly what he was thinking and feeling. He got four out of the five steps right. That is not bad. But he, bi- he missed the one that matters the most. Listen, if you're not ready to confront somebody for the purpose of reconciliation, it doesn't matter if you do the other four. How are we doing? <laughs> God has given us the guilt offering. Part of it is thank God for Jesus that every time I've wronged somebody, Jesus has stood on my behalf as the offender, as the injured person. He has taken the punishment, so I am not guilty before God when I hurt somebody else. But as part of a kingdom person, I need to make restitution. I need to make reconciliation. I need to recognize it is a 2319. It is emergency. It is toxic. And how I handle this is going to determine whether I get a promotion in the kingdom or whether I get locked in a spiritual prison for demonic torment. There are many people in here. You have, uh, it's a room this size. This isn't a word of knowledge. Let's just say in America. There's many people in America who have diseases in their body because the bitterness, it says bitterness dries the bones. There's actually diseases and tumors that have festered because your body cannot physically handle unforgiveness. But Jim, you don't know what I did, guys. I'm not saying that you're giving them a free pass and what they did was okay. What you're saying is I'm no longer going to be chained to this person. I'm turning them over to God. I pray that they encounter God. I, um, I, heard, I heard something interesting about Bill Johnson. He wakes up every morning, and the first thing he does is pray for his enemies. He has a list of five. And so um, I came up with a list of two. Two people. I don't, they're not my enemy. I don't, I, don't, I don't hate them, but I know that they can't stand me, and they've done things to hurt me. And so I just began practicing that. And so I'll say is, God, I pray that they would encounter the love of God. I pray that their children would know the goodness of God and that they would know the love of God. And so maybe that helps you with somebody. I'm, I'm not saying what they did is okay or you know, some of those things. I, I can't rehearse those things. It just, I, I'm not mature enough to handle the rehearsing of them. But I'm not told to rehearse them. I'm told to bless those that curse you. So some of you today, maybe that's your remedy. Um, maybe some of you, that's holding back your healing. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Maybe you, you taking the step of breaking this chain, breaking the spiritual prison that we saw in Matthew 5 off of you is the key to your healing. I'm not trying to uh, condemn anybody here, but maybe this is pinging you in your heart and you're saying, you know what, I have not been following this. And so there are consequences spiritually. Not before God, you'll still go to heaven. You're just going to live in hell while you're here. If you're in that spiritual prison. So I'll stand for closing prayer. It'll be happier next time. <laughs> I hope it feels heavy. I hope, I hope it doesn't feel heavy. I hope it feels weighty. We're going to be very serious. We have been and we will continue to be very serious about this at Zion because we're not going to let someone come in and destroy things with their mouth. The Bible's so clear. It says this. Warn a divisive person once, a second time, then have nothing to do with them. If you can't, if you can't work it out between the two of you, the next verse in Matthew 18 says, we'll bring two or three others along. 
who can help out. And what do they do? They're there to help you hear each other's heart and those type of things. And if that doesn't work, it says, kick them out of the church. Now, we've never made it to that level here in, uh, in my 11 years here at Zion. We made it to level two a few times. Most of the time, I would say we've been able to handle it with the Lord. Just one other quick piece of wisdom is I, I found it helpful to say, Lord, give me a strategy in talking to this person. I, I can honestly say every time I've had to do a conflict situation with people that, um, you know, when it goes well, if this is weird, you actually wind up stronger in your relationship than as if the offense hadn't happened. I think that's part of that 120%. I'm looking around here. We've had this, there's people here. I'm not making eye contact with anybody right now, but we, we've had to sit across the table from each other and, uh, and mend some things, and, um, and we're stronger now than we would have been if we hadn't have done that. That's the kingdom, guys. It's a kingdom. But ask the Lord for a strategy. I just, just one last story. I know we're going a little bit long here. The, I remember um, one of the pastors I worked for made my wife cry. And so um, that's a tough one. And uh, he was known to be a hothead. And uh, anyway, and so um, I said, Mary, I need to confront him and tell him what he did. So he, I, I'm not gonna, I don't know really to go into the reason, but I said, I'm going to confront him. She says, you're probably going to get fired. I said, there's some things that are more important than a job. You know, it's, it's me doing the right thing by my wife. And, but mama didn't raise no fool. I wasn't just going to go in there guns blazing. And, and so I said, Lord, I really need, I need a way to honor, honor this man. And so the Lord gave me, um, remember how the, the prophet Nathan approached David. David had sinned. He had, you know, with Bathsheba, he had killed the husband. He had done these things. And so uh, the prophet Nathan came in with a parable. He says, hey, let me tell you this story about this guy. He's got all these sheep. This other person just had one sheep. He takes it, and he's like, who is this man? And Nathan's like, actually, you're that man. Broke David down. So the Lord gave me a parable to tell him. I think, I, I mean, it wasn't really a parable. It was just kind of that approach. I said, listen, I need you to help me here. I said, you're my pastor, and I honor you. But I said, I'm also a husband, and this is the story that came to me. Notice I didn't accuse him of anything. I'm simply reporting how the story came to me. And uh, his reaction, he didn't repent or anything like that. But on my way out, um, I, I knew that I had done right. I had done my part. On the way out, he said, Baker, you could have handled that a lot of different ways. He said, the way you handled that today showed me a lot about you. And um, never, and all I'm just saying, there was a wisdom. I, I walked in there fully expecting to get fired. I just, I just, just based on how the, how the guy treated people. But just one last thing is, as you're getting ready to these things, ask the Lord, how do I approach this person? If you don't know, go ask Teresa. She's the expert on the DISC, the D-I-S-C. She'll help you know how to approach them. If you can't hear from the Lord, Teresa will hear something good for you. So, all right, you guys good? Some of you need to make some phone calls. Some of you need to go clean up the blast radius because you've been gossiping. Some of you, uh, you know, this will just be a tool in your chest, and I'm guessing you're going to get to use it in the next 10 years at some point. No one needs to feel condemned. Jesus paid for that. You don't have to carry that. But you might feel the weight of, you know what? My mouth has been writing checks for the enemy that the enemy's been cashing in on. And uh, you need to repent. You need to stop it. You need to clean that up so that you can be released from that prison. Are we okay? Jesus, we love you. And I pray for the grace of God that would lift off shame, that would lift off uh, unforgiveness where it just feels really hard to let that thing go. God, we can't do this in our own strength. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come in and just uh, provide that oil. That you would give us the grace to make things right. I pray for families where things just aren't right, where there's no communication, that you would give a grace and a strategy for how to open up those lines of communication. In the name of Jesus. Amen.